All right. Hey, Crosswalk family. It is so good to see you. Congratulations. Oh, that was so sweet. What a beautiful baby. Beautiful family. Thank you all for being here. What an honor to celebrate and dedicate baby Tosin. Crosswalk family, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we are so excited to jump into a new series. This is our Christmas series on earth. We're looking at the way the kingdom of God has come to our planet on earth and the way that it impacts our lives. We're going to be having uh, some phenomenal speakers. If you Recall, our lead pastor, Dr. Timothy Gillespie, is on sabbatical. So he's off for the rest of the year. He's just resting, chilling, recovering, whatever he's needing to do. He's taking it easy. Uh, he texts occasionally like, hey, we're like, don't text us. Stop. <laughs> just, just we, you know, no. we started a sabbatical thread. It's super good, like private. Keep him out of it. No. <laughs> so Pastor Tim is resting and we're happy for that. But we've got some great speakers lined up for this series it's going to take us through the end of the year, and then we'll jump into a new series in the, in the new year. So we're excited. I hope that you're excited for what God is doing here, what God is doing in your lives. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, got to spend some time with family, got to eat a lot of good food. Uh, so if you can tell, there's a lot of excitement, so many things to be excited about. But I haven't always been uh, the most excited in the Christmas season. Actually, I want to just be... Uh, transparent with you, there has been a time in my life recently, in the last few years, where I was called a Scrooge. I'm like, what? Uh, me? A Scrooge? The Joy Boy? Like, how's that, how's that possible, right? I could not believe it. And let me tell you what happened. I, I got to give you an explanation for this. It all revolved around music. Um, I love music. I love listening to music. Got a lot of, like, yeah, like all types of music. Um, but Christmas music is, is good, you know, to a certain degree. But uh, whenever, this is what happened. Some of my family members, they would uh, ask me to occasionally, like, put on music in the Christmas season. And in those times, I would often, based on kind of like the, the, the mood, the setting, like, you know, friends over for dinner, whatever, I would choose music that I just enjoyed listening to that was not Christmas music. I'm like, can I not do that? And they're like, you're, you're a Scrooge. I'm like, what? Like, just because I don't want to listen to the same 15 songs for 70 days in a row? Like, you know, like Christmas music comes on like in September now. And the decorations are out the day after Halloween. It is wild. So I, I got labeled a Scrooge and I completely reject that. I think that does not fit me at all. So I've been working really hard to change that. And so what I did and what I've done is I've created my own Christmas music playlist. So I've got like classic songs I really love, like um, Step Into Christmas by Elton John. You know that one? Step Into Christmas. Let's get to, you know? So there's that one, like Charlie Brown Christmas. Do, 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 do. Like songs that are fun, upbeat. They, they bring me joy. And it's actually helped a lot. I surprised my wife this week huge by putting it on. She's like, babe, you're playing Christmas music. I was like, I'm a changed man. You know, I'm like, hey, here we go. <laughs> so I have been experiencing joy rather than like frustration and anger because I don't want to be called a Scrooge. And I think that is so important for this time of the year, right? I think joy is such a key characteristic in the Advent season. I always think about and reflect on the words of the angels when they spoke of the coming Christ, the, the newborn babe. They said that this news would bring great joy for all people. So I've been choosing to focus on that, to live in that joy. And I hope, I hope that is the case for you because the Messiah, 
The Christ was born on earth to bring hope, to bring goodness, and to bring great joy for all people. And that means that the kingdom of God has come. And these beautiful gifts, like the gift of peace, the gift of joy, the gift of love, are available to all of us here and now. The kingdom of heaven came to earth. And that means heaven on earth is reality. We can live in that, right? So I hope that you are able to experience those beautiful gifts, joy, peace, love, and lots of hope in this season. Because for so long, that wasn't the case for the people of God. For so long, there was a yearning. There was a longing for the kingdom to come. Right? There, was a, there was a constant ache. They desired for the kingdom to come, for the Messiah to come. And they're looking for the one who would save them, who would rescue them, liberate them, bring about peace, restore all things. And they longed for that. So to begin to understand this longing, we're going to look at the messianic hope throughout Scripture. I love this entire series. We're going to be looking at key texts in the book of Isaiah, and then we're going to look at some parallel texts in the Gospels. So our key text for today is coming from Isaiah chapter 11. Verses 1 and 2 are the two we're going to look at. It says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Other versions say, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. So this is David's father, King David's father. This is his family tree. This is a messianic prophecy about the coming king who would do great things. It is hopeful. It is expectant. It is tied to a really rich history because this prophecy didn't begin here. It actually began way, way further back. So when we look at this, when we trace it back, it leads us all the way back to the garden. And in that story, we encounter this serpent that's in rebellion against God. And this serpent is wanting to Take, take the joy away from humanity. He wants to lead people down a path that leads to destruction and death. The scripture tells us in that story that someone is going to come, a future son of Eve, that is going to crush this serpent's head and they're going to right all the wrongs. They're going to put, put an end to this battle. They're going to bring peace. They're going to liberate and save there's going to be a, a wounding piece as well. It's really interesting. It says the serpent is going to bite the heel of this person. So there's this mutual, um, I don't know, destruction that takes place, that will take place. So it's strange, but it's a beautiful promise of a coming Savior. So as Adam and Eve begin to have a family, they give birth to a son. And when I was in seminary, I had a professor who did a really kind of in-depth and careful uh, exegesis of the Hebrew. And she said, when Eve exclaims and kind of has this proclamation about her, her son being born, if you look really closely, she, you, can, you can interpret that as she's saying that her son, the firstborn son, she was hoping that, it, that he was the Messiah, 
that he was the promised one. It was, it was shocking to me because you think about, I don't know how long it was before they had children, but here she is recognizing already the impact of sin, of death and decay. And when her first child is born, she's thinking, this may be the one. This may be the one. But we all know that was not the case. The son is born. Years go by before we hear this promise re renewed. And it comes to Abraham. It comes to Abraham. It says that through him and his family, they are going to be carriers of this promise. They're going to be carriers of this goodness, of this blessing of restoration, that it would be for all nations, for all people. But we know that story, Abraham, his son Isaac. We know that story, right? So the, this, this promise continues. And it's passed on to one of the children of Abraham, his son named Judah. Judah is told that his family, down his family line, is going to come a king. A king is going to come who is going to bring peace. He's going to put an end to the battle, put an end to the struggle, and bring harmony. But years and years go by. Finally, we see a king who comes from the line of Judah, and his name is David. And we all know about King David, right? Amazing warrior, poet, an incredible man, but did not do the best things, right? So King David, people wondered, is he the one? Is he the one that this, this has been about? Is he going to restore? Is he going to bring peace? Is he going to crush the serpent's head? Restore all things. We know that story. He does not do that. But despite all of that, the promise remains. It says that through David, through his family, through his lineage, that the king will still come and he will be from this family line, right? Year after year, generation after generation, king after king after king ends up giving in to the serpent and its evil ways. They, they choose evil over good. They, they choose power. They choose women. They choose idols. Uh, they choose all the wrong things. And for a while, it gets really dark. For a while, there is silence. There is question. Even the nation of Israel begins to collapse. And all of a sudden, there are no kings left. They're wondering, who, who will fulfill this promise? And this is when we begin to hear from the prophets. Right? These prophets remind us the promise remains. The king will come. And Isaiah here, as we pick up back in Isaiah 11, he says, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Now, this is interesting imagery here to me. I think about like a stump. I, I, I think about that's, that's something that's kind of like left behind discarded, right? This is not, not, not the picture, the beacon of like strength, <laughs> might, right? Wholeness, life, right? This is, this is what's been chopped down, destroyed, left behind. It's a remnant, right? It's what was. I don't know if there's anything like that in your life that, that once was strong, that once was mighty, that had, had a really important, impactful presence in the world, but throughout the years, began to be chipped away at, whittled away, chopped down, left behind. Maybe there, there's something that resembles this now discarded piece. It is, it is what's left over, what remains. But don't be discouraged if that is your story because there is hope. There is a new shoot that can grow out of an old stump. 
something fresh can spring forth from what was left behind, from what was broken, from what was discarded. These remains, this leftover stump still has the capacity to bring forth new life. Come on, renewed hope, renewed purpose, new direction. There is potential. There is hope. So during this time of the prophets, there was silence. The people of God were left wondering when. When is this Messiah going to come? When will we see him? When will he do all these great things that have been promised? There is a long, long period of waiting, of wonder, of silence. And if you've ever waited for anything, maybe, maybe breakthrough, maybe healing, whatever it was, you know that those moments can feel like forever, right? Just when you feel like all hope may be gone, this, this, this new root springs up, right? The light breaks forth, the dawn arrives. Just when you feel like it's dark, when it's desolate, here comes the light. Here it comes, right? It springs forth. And in this story, we see this new light in the person of Jesus Christ, born into this world, in part, part of an important lineage. So here in the story of Scripture, we see a transition taking place from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we have now this text we want to look at in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And there's some interesting pieces I just want to highlight before we jump into it. If you recall Matthew, he was a tax collector, also known as Levi. And tax collectors in that day were really well organized. They were note takers. They were record keepers. So Matthew is really well positioned to write an account of Jesus's life. They were organized for, for Matthew being a Jew. He had to have a strong, strong knowledge of Hebrew and Greek so that he could communicate and write well. I came upon this little joke when I was studying. It said that when Jesus called Matthew to follow him, he left everything behind but his pen and paper. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean like scroll and quill or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> so he, he, he was the record keeper. He was the note taker among the disciples. So he was really well positioned to write an account of Jesus's life. And even though this is the first book technically in the position in the New Testament, it's believed that it's not the first one to be written. But it's well placed there because it has a really strong Jewish flavor. So from the transition taking place would have been a real nice, easy transition for the Jewish readers. So a couple things there to note. And then Matthew, he begins. He writes Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. And what does he do? He begins by looking back. He takes us back to the heritage of Christ, the lineage. Matthew 1, verse 1, it says this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. So the list then goes down. I'm not going to bore you with all the names, but I want to highlight a couple key figures in this list. It says, verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. So here we see some of these key figures being highlighted. The list goes on. And what's so amazing to me in this entire list is that four women are included in this list. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Now, this was super uncommon, right? Women were rarely ever mentioned in ancient genealogies. These four women are especially important because of 
the grace of God in their story. It is amazing. They truly show how God can take unlikely people with unlikely stories and use them in great ways. So if you recall, Tamar sold herself as a prostitute to her father-in-law in order to get pregnant and carry on. That, that is such a wild story to me. That's Genesis 38 if you want to do some light reading later today. <laughs> so Tamar, whoa, what a story there, right? Rahab, also a prostitute, a Gentile who God saved from judgment. She was a key figure in the story. Subsequently, God saved her from that life of prostitution. Amazing, amazing that she's highlighted here. Ruth, another Gentile from Moab, she's, she plays an important role in the covenant of Israel. I mean, amazing that Ruth is highlighted in the lineage. And then we all know Bathsheba. Bathsheba and David, the adultery there. I mean, these women... Being included here is monumental, right? It is so counterculture. In both pagan and Jewish cultures of that day, men had very little regard for women. In fact, it was common in that day for Jewish men, when they would wake up and pray, they would thank God for three things. They would thank God that they were not a Gentile, that they were not a slave, and that they were not a woman. <laughs> Believe that? Cool. So William Barclay, he's this famous commentator, author, scholar. He had this to say about these four figures. He said, by far, the most amazing thing about this pedigree is the names of the women who appear in it. I love that. These four women have such an important place to play in the genealogy of Jesus. They show us that he was not royalty according to human traditions, right? He was not coming from a pure line, uh, uh, an aristocratic background, right? He's coming from a line of brokenness, broken people. Jesus is identified with sinner after sinner after sinner. And not only these women, but these men as well who have fallen short often over and over. But these women have such an important part to play in the story of Christ and his life and in this new covenant. So I love that. And the list that goes on in Matthew, it highlights more, more men. We all know, um, you know, some of these names. It says in verse 5, Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. So here again, it ties in with this text from Isaiah. And there's some really key figures that are being highlighted here. But there's also some names that we just can't forget, like Jehoshaphat, Jehoiachin, and Zerubbabel. I mean, these are names I think need to be brought back into our daily lives today. Like, let's put these on some baby lists today, people. Any, any mothers to be out there need a name? Jehoshaphat, Jehoiachin. Right? There it is, right there. I, I'm looking forward to the day when I get to dedicate baby Zerubbabel. It's going to be so, so sweet, right? <laughs> so there's important names there. We'll highlight a few of those. Verse 16, it continues. It says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So this genealogy establishes Jesus' claim to the throne of David through his adoptive father, Joseph. This is not the blood lineage of Jesus through Mary, but this is what's known as the legal lineage through Joseph. If you want the blood lineage, you can look in the Gospel of Luke. It traces it back through Mary. But here, this is called the legal lineage. Verse 17, it closes this section by saying, all of those listed above 
include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. Now, if you recall in Scripture, whenever you see the number seven, it, it, it means perfection. It means wholeness, completeness, right? So to see these three sets of 14 is really important because the readers would know this, they would interpret this most likely as double perfection, right? It's like the complete, more, more fully complete, if, that, if that's what you would want to say. So what's interesting here, you could really get deep in the weeds on this, but these 14 sets, these generations don't all add up to 14 quite exactly. So this is like, for instance, verse 8, you see these, these words, which don't mean a lot to us, but Jehoram begat Uzziah, Matthew 1.8. There were actually three different generations in between those two. Now, you could spend all this time wondering why and getting caught up in this, but what I want you to know is that this, these kinds of omissions were very common in Jewish genealogies. So Matthew didn't do anything unusual. He's not trying to like pull the wool over our eyes or anything sneaky like this. This is very common. It was a practice. There was common to skip generations in enlisting these ancient genealogies. And most likely he did it so that it was easier to remember. He probably wanted to round it out nicely so you've got that double perfection, right? So you, you can never go wrong with double perfection, I would say, right? So he does this. I don't think we need to stress about that. I don't stress about it. What's really important for us to highlight here are the imperfections in Christ's lineage, right? He didn't come from the perfect line. He didn't come from the purest line. He came from a truly human line. He came from a line of brokenness, of broken people, which means that God didn't show up into a picture-perfect story. He didn't come high and mighty. He didn't come in perfection or in power even. He came in the fullness of humanity. Right? He came in brokenness, in weakness, in humility as a baby, which means to me that he gets it. Right? He understands our brokenness. He understands our weakness, our pain, our problems, our frailty, because he willingly subjected himself to all those things, to the messiness of this life, of our world which means that the glory of heaven came down to our brokenness on earth, right? That is the beauty of the Advent story, that heaven showed up on earth in human form. Now, as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about this series, I kept wondering, how am I going to preach on this list of names? What am I going to do? What am I going to draw from this, right? How do you, how do you share a good word about Jehoshaphat and Jehoiachin? <laughs> and this word that kept coming back to mind, just kind of resounding in my head, was presence. Throughout history, this hope was present that the kingdom would come. And then it came, and the presence of God was here on earth. And in this season, in the Advent season, we celebrate that presence. We remember and we reflect on the importance of the name Emmanuel because it reveals God's presence. It tells us that God is with us, that he is present in our lives here and now. 
As we look back on history, we reflect on the coming of Christ. We're reminded of how God chose to be present here on earth. We're reminded of how God chose to step into the mess of this world. We're reminded of how God's presence on earth is one of the greatest acts of love. The advent, the coming of Christ shows us the wild love of God. A God whose very presence here on earth proves his great love for us. It reveals to us that he is a God who shows up, a God who is present in our lives here, now, on earth. So this Christmas season, this Advent season, I want to invite you to do three things. The first thing I want to invite you to is to acknowledge the presence of Jesus. I want to invite you to take time this season to just sit and to reflect, to acknowledge the beauty of God's presence, to acknowledge this messianic hope that's been here, present on earth throughout history, to acknowledge the, the, the life of Jesus, the birth, the death, the resurrection, the ascension. Take time to acknowledge the presence of Jesus here now on earth in your life. Reflect on the importance of the name Emmanuel because it reveals God's presence. It is a reminder that God is with us, that he is present in our lives. As we look back on, on human history and we reflect on the coming of Christ, we're reminded of how God chose to be present here on earth. We're reminded of how he chose to step into the mess of this world. And that is a beautiful thing. So the second thing I want to invite you to is to be present to Jesus. This is very tied in with that first one, but being present to Jesus means you acknowledge his presence in your life and then you take time to build that relationship, right? Every relationship takes time, takes communication, and it takes presence, right? So take time to be present to Jesus. That means carve out time each and every day. Spend time sitting with him, talking with him, listening to him, being with him, giving him thanks for the gift of his presence. And let that time empower you to do this third and final thing, which is to be present to those around you, right? If you believe like I do that, the gift of presence is one of the greatest acts of love, then showing up and being present to your loved ones, to your family, to your friends, is one simple and amazing way that we all can love well. It doesn't even take very much, right? It could look like you leaving your phone in the other room so that you're fully present at dinner, so that you're available for conversation, no distractions, right? It could look like you reaching out to a loved one, a friend, a family member, and saying, hey, let's get some coffee this week. I want to catch up. I want to hear about what's going on in your life. Being present to those around you means being available to them. Spending quality time with them. The other day, uh, our oldest son, Oliver, he woke up and he was like in a little bit of a, a funk. He was in like a, a sad, kind of sad, sour mood. So my wife and I, we were questioning like, what's going on? We don't know, we don't know what happened. So we asked him, what's going on, buddy? And he said to us, I just wish we had more family time. I was like, oh man, that hurt, hurt my heart, right? But I knew 
this was a couple weeks leading up to our crosswalk anniversary. Like, it had been so busy. I knew that I had not been as present and as available as I normally am. And this sweet boy, he's able to tell us that. That's what he's feeling. And so I was really intentional. I, I picked him up from school. We went and got a smoothie. We went to the park. We ran through the bamboo forest at Prospect Park. Like, we had such a sweet time. It was so needed and so important. So take time to be present to those around you. Make time for them. Show them you love them by being available, just like Jesus did for each one of us. Because the beauty of the Advent is that heaven showed up on earth and changed everything. Let's pray together. God Almighty, Emmanuel, the God who is here, present with us each and every moment of each and every day. Lord, may we recognize and may we acknowledge your presence. May we be attuned to it. May we be aware of it. May we be more present to you in this season so that we'll be able to be more present to those around us. Lord God, we thank you for this messianic hope, for this rich history of longing and expectation that we see throughout scripture because we're still carriers of that, Lord. We still long for and yearn for the day when you will come again. We pray that that day will be soon, God. And until that time, keep us strong, keep us hopeful, keep us expectant for the coming King. May you bless us in this season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us one more time?